From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. Difficult day, difficult day to recap the embarrassment we call president of, uh, it's not the United States the way I saw it last night. I didn't see the president of the United States. I saw the president of the uh, extorted Soviet states of America. And as I listened to him speak, I recognized so many things throughout history through different fascists and nationalists and socialists and Marxists. It was really a cornucopia of totalitarianism presented by a feeble old man who really I almost felt sorry for as I watched him stammer and struggle. And um, that's when I cut off the compassion and I realized what a walking punchline he is. What a joke to the world stage this pathetic old man is. And I understand exactly what it is they're doing is through building this Hobbesian alternative universe where we are in some sort of happenstance predicament that is of no fault other than citizens and capitalism and liberty and freedom. I didn't hear any of that in his speech. Did you hear the word liberty? I I, I threw out that challenge a while ago. Somebody sent me a clip of a Democrat politician in office speaking of personal freedoms and liberties or Americanism. And they can't. They have to make you feel like in order to get to where we ultimately want to be, it has to be delivered to us by these frauds, these politicians. So they're going to attack reality. They're going to present a bastardized version of American principles and of freedom and capitalism. And then they're going to position themselves as somehow the alternative to what really made America great, which was never a politician. Never, ever. And the best politicians are the reluctant ones, the ones that had to be dragged to be politicians. Those are the best ones. And that's why there's only a handful of them, because most of these self-aggrandizing, self-enriching political whores really can't do anything in the real world, really don't know anything in the real world. I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. Do they need to be protected? Do LGBTQ people need to be protected? We've been living among people of this persuasion for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. And um, prior to all of the political attention, I don't remember it being a hostile arena. I really don't. Just like I don't remember many of the the so-called emergencies that they promised to settle being a hostile arena. I kind of remember us going down a path of, of... peacefulness of success of independence and individuality my fellow americans trickle down trickle down economics has never worked it's time to grow the economy from the bottom and the middle out you know there's no such thing right as trickle down that trickle down was actually a result of uh, george bush debating ronald reagan as he 
espouse the virtues of capitalism, which is liberty and Americanism. Trickle down was was um, a political phrase. You cannot find trickle down throughout the the hundreds of years of of preaching of capitalism and 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 the enlightenment and individuality. Trickle down doesn't exist. That that is a political bastardization of capitalism. There's no such thing as trickle down. There's there's individuals. There's individuals that have concepts that create businesses that create entities that employ people that are separate and uncoupled from government see because the one thing that gets lost in all of this new version of marxism and as it's painted as this utopia governments don't have money they take things they take money they take land they take the 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 misuse of law to create a system of extortion What made America great was that we didn't have that in the beginning. In fact, they were just learning how to implement these these tools of tyranny. Now they feel that they've perfected them. So what they have to do now is create for you a reality that doesn't really exist, but you're afraid of existing and failing. So they don't talk about the any any reason we are in economic dire straits is because first and foremost, over a year ago, The American government and various governments throughout America took away the personal liberty and property of the citizens. And they told you you couldn't go to work. They told you you couldn't mingle. You couldn't live your life. And they used the virus as an excuse. And at the time, it was very obvious what the plan was. And that was to create a circumstance where you not only obeyed government, but you needed them in order to keep your existence and then to climb out of it. Well, now we're here. And they're in the driver's seat. And instead of talking about what actually made us and this country a superpower, is not corrupt political whores called politicians. It's that we, at one time, many decades ago, had the smallest intervention of government in business. Did you know that? In fact, it was, it's only when government grabs massive amounts of business that we ever, ever have financial turmoil. Most of us were not alive during the Great Depression, and that's why they're using the fear of a Great Depression against freedom and capitalism rather than letting you know what really created the Great Depression was FDR and his answers to financial problems. FDR extended the Great Depression until World War II because he was an idiot. He was a socialist and he was a fraud, just like Joe Biden. And the media protected him as well. This morning when I got up, I like to watch WGN News in the morning, I know. But out of the worst choices, I like kind of a Carol Burnett variety show. And I find the characters on there fascinating. But today, there's one character I find disgusting. And that's this guy. He looks like, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. He looks like uh, Boris Karloff and the son of Sven Gulli had an unholy forest preserve baby. Paul Lisnick. Paul Lisnick comes on. And he tells us, now we, we, we watched it, and at least 74 million people were disgusted by it. Many more were disgusted by it. But the media in lockstep, because they are the propagandists of the Marxist mafia, are going to tell us how unifying this is. And all I kept thinking about is, did they watch a second of it? Did they watch an absolute second of this speech? The blue-collar blueprint to build America. That's what it is. 
and it recognizes something I've always said in this chamber and the other. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country, and unions built the middle class. So that's why I'm calling on Congress to pass Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, and send it to my desk so we can support the right to unionize. Unions had nothing to do, zero, in building this country. Nothing. The entire concept of the extortion mafia, the labor mafia of a union, is to carve out for itself an extortion racket that extorts not only the worker, but extorts the company that would, would employ the worker. And they have managed to cut out a billion-dollar industry while a bunch of slobs do nothing but litigate and use their power to buy politicians to legislate their existence into, into happening. They would never exist in a world where workers had a relationship with their employers themselves. But they created this, this same thing that I'm seeing in the country, this animosity and this misinformation where we need them for anything. In fact, if you trace back the real history, and I don't just mean every Tom, Dick, and Harry that sat in the upper echelon of a union going to prison, or any fat slob business age, agent going to the bathroom half the time instead of working. I'm talking about what they really did to the country when their implementation was, was first reared its ugly, corrupt head to even now. And all they've ever done is destroy destroy any business they really touch they do not provide anything of any substance now i'm not bashing the union workers because as many of you know you have to play the game if you want to work but don't tell me that that's what built the country because it didn't that's what helped destroy the productivity of the country sorry it's just the way it is and that's why the only place it really thrives is in the corrupt political system where they can pay their people whatever the hell they want because it's not their money anyway They're just stealing it from other people and borrowing from the future. And it gets me to the whole thing of how in the world the definition in this country of greed is a man that wants to keep his money instead of the political frauds, the extortionists and the Marxist scum like Joe Biden and his ilk that only want to take it from everybody else to give to who they choose. And the reality is it's not even he's not Robin Hood, Biden Hood. Robin Hood stole from the government and gave back to the people. This guy's just a thief. He's just a liar and just a fraud. And he's wrong. And he's wrong. And he's rewriting American history. But you have to steal it. You have to fraud it in order to deliver a frauded future. And that's all this speech was. It was an hour, and I think I lost $20 to somebody here. I I didn't think he'd last more than 12 minutes. Apparently they had those FDR leg braces on him, and they kept him propped up with the Viagra B12 and a little double espresso. He made it through the whole speech as painful for everybody as it was. And as I, 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 I look back, and what is the big, the big thrill? Is that there were two women behind him during the State of the Union? I say no. I'll argue with that. There were two women behind Trump, Nancy Pelosi and Paul Ryan. So he's not the first president to have two women behind him. We got our own women, too, because they don't have the, the fortitude to stand up for principles of the people who elected them in the office. We call them Republicans. And we're going to see now 
the frauded Republicans like Mitch McConnell with that old lady face he's got walking around with use this speech to raise money for the GOP. And I think that's the part that sickens me the most is that instead of we us, we the people having a group, a political entity that espoused the principles of what really built America, we've got but two choices here. The Marxist mafia represented by Dimwit in diapers or or the corporatist frauds represented by modern-day Republicans like Paul Ryan and Rudy Giuliani. I'll throw him in there. I'll throw Rudy in there. I don't even care. I kept watching as uh, Mitt Romney clapped and clapped and clapped. And it got me to thinking, don't give a dollar to the GOP because there's more Mitt Romneys in it than there are Adam Smiths, than there are capitalists, than there are people who want to destroy the bastardized version of America that this fool, fool, and his party are selling you. Because what they really see is this is an opportunity to seize every aspect of Americanism. And I don't hear much of a pushback, especially when we are not rallying around Tim Scott, who gave a rebuttal that right there he became my favorite Republican. Right there. I want to know what your prediction is, who's going to take the mantle and run, and I want to know if you think we can win under a corrupted system where we are now tempting people with everything they need to live, because that's what that speech was. That speech was a socialist, communist, Marxist dream, where just because you're an American, you're going to get everything you need. And how are we going to do it? Don't worry about the details, because good old Uncle Joe will provide it. 312-642-5600. This is what they should have played before Biden had his speech right there. It would have been more appropriate, in my opinion. And as we gather here tonight, images of a violent mob assaulting this capital, desecrating our democracy, remain vivid in all our minds. Lives were put at risk, many of your lives. Lives were lost. What? Lives were lost? They keep calling and blaming this, this, these, a, few, a handful of morons. By the way, an insurrection, doesn't it take weapons to have an insurrection? A bunch of morons running through a house is what's called Friday night in Melrose Park. That's, that's normal. And by the way, in Melrose Park, it's twice as violent as this. I'm getting so sick of having these liars and frauds rewrite reality to sell me this line of BS. It's not even funny anymore. Mike in Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I wanted you to go first. Screeners, you, you, you can't hang up on me, but I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I'm not going to hang up on you. I just, you know what it is, Mike? There we go. I have family that call themselves Democrat, yet they prove well, themselves yeah. not to be. So let's see what happens, and I'll, I'll let you know if well, you're a Democrat. There we go. I just, I feel like this party has accelerated so far to the left in the last, I mean, year or two. More, I mean, granted, you could probably argue more in the last decade, but. Where we're at now is nowhere near the ideals that I would ever stand for. And my only problem is, like, I just don't align with the Republican Party, but I'm not aligning with the left. So I'm kind of just curious. Like, so, well, Mike, what do I do? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to help you because I, I came to this same problem, by the way. Mine, mine really appeared in around 2000. And then as George Bush started to implement what I thought was absolutely the bastardization of principles, I stopped calling myself, yeah. I stopped calling myself a Republican. And I think, you know, the minute you do that, you go against what these swindlers are hoping for. See, they're hoping for loyalty. And, and some try to buy it, some try to scare it, and some try to present an idea that they, they have answers 
a bunch of jobless, really unsuccessful lawyers sitting in an office somehow can provide answers from everything from the economy to our social interactions with each other. So the first thing I want to point out to you, Mike, is you're not a Democrat. You're not a Republican. I'm not saying you're anything, but you clearly do not align with the socialists who are really Marxists calling themselves Democrats. And that's been the shift. Now, the question is, do you think that any party represents Mike in Milwaukee? And I don't know you. I don't know if you have one of these government union jobs, because if you do, then the answer is yes. If you have a government union job and you like to wait around for your pension to hatch, then you're a Democrat. To me, those are the only people that are Democrats. And um, the other people I feel that are, are in unions, the idea that they would let the most corporate aspect of labor tell them how to vote lets, lets me know they're not interested in the country. They, like the government employees, are interested in themselves. And that's why I say greed when I, when I was talking earlier. Greed is yeah. really the description of somebody who wants something for nothing. To me, the most greedy people on the planet are Democrats, followed by corporatist Republicans. No, I, I completely agree. And that's where, I mean, this is where I kind of got into politics. I mean, when I, I, I'm a teacher. And when I went into teaching, I first wasn't a union member until I saw some of the benefit of it. And in Wisconsin, that was really what led me away from the Republican Party was uh, the destruction of the teachers' unions from Scott Walker. And here we are 10 years later feeling the detrimental effects of that. Not to say every teachers' union by any means is good, because I've seen what's happened in Chicago, and I don't agree with a single thing that's happened in the last year in Chicago. But the local teachers' unions, for me, truly do represent my values and what I have done. And I, I feel like what would have happened teaching 10 years ago can't happen now because of what Walker has done. And that really pitted Democrats and Republicans against each other about 10 years ago. And again, that shifted me, you know, it was, it's just this push pull, push pull with me being very moderate. You know, I could talk to you for, I really could, I could talk to you for an hour. I find this fascinating. <laughs> I really, I mean, yeah, it. I, I find I, it I fascinating like, I know, because I, here's the thing, Mike, I have an open mind. <laughs> here's the thing, Mike, that, 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 I, I know this about myself. At a certain point, you will be lured by this idea of, a, of promises to your own benefit at the detriment of a system. And ultimately, we feel we're too small to take it down. But as you look at the numbers in which the unions have taken over, literally teaching, and you realize the only alternative is parochial school or private school to some extent. You understand that the monopoly on our education system is void of consequences. So when you see the CPS destroy Chicago, and you know that it's destroying Illinois and other states that are run by the Democrat mafia, you know that even if you're holding up and your state may be not that bad, you know what the trajectory is because that's the platform. That's what you've seen. So you have to now decide, am I in it for me? Or do I care more about a system? And it's, listen, the hardest money you're never going to make is one that you give up out of principle. And, you know, I don't know what the answer is for you. I know what it is for me. And I'm, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful life and you do very well, but I hope your union collapses. Fair enough? Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much Thank for hearing me. No, and that's, that's the thing. Is I'm not going to cancel you like the rest of the world. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. See, that's kind of a conversation. That was far more informative. And we made far more progress than a bunch of people telling me they represent all teachers. And all teachers should be teaching what they decree from Mount High. We can still win this because we're arguing on principle and common sense. Are they? I don't think so. We'll be back after this. 
My guy with the music, he knows exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the economy and we're going to talk about the Marxist vision and fraud and lies that come out of Washington, D.C. My DC. fellow Americans, trickle down. Trickle down economics has never worked. It's time to grow the economy from the bottom and the middle out. Hey, hey, hey. And a bunch My of people who Americans. never had a job clap. Bunch of people who never had a job in their life clap. Yay, the bottom, uh, it's going to be great. Reality is there's no such thing as trickle down. That is a catchphrase. I wanted to bring on an expert, Jerry Boyer, financial economist, publisher of Affluent Investor Daily, and a writer at Town Hall. He also has a podcast that's upcoming called Meeting of Minds. Jerry, how are you? I'm fine, Sean. How are you? I'm disgusted, Jerry, and I'm going to tell you why. I was so proud to be an American. I was so proud to be from a country that really talked about property rights and the enlightenment and capitalism and liberty. And I'm watching it be flushed and given away, and it's infuriating. And I'm wondering, is, are enough Americans economic illiterates to buy this pitch? Yes. <laughs> Segment's over. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes, enough Americans are economic illiterates to buy this. I mean, obviously they are, right? I mean, we have um, uh, one, you know, one of the two houses of Congress thoroughly committed to this. The other is basically, you know, kind of hangs on a nice edge. And we've got a president who's committed to this. So apparently we are. Um, and it, it's troublesome. By the way, I like something that you said is really important. Trickle-down economics isn't a school of economics. It is a catchphrase um, that people who want statism use to, dis- to describe classical economics. So they just it's a way of attacking something. It's a term of abuse. It goes back to Harry Truman. He was pushing Keynesianism. They said, look, you can, the money can be at the bottom and then it trickles up. Or some people say you put the money at the top and then it trickles down. Supply-siders or classical economists do not believe in trickle-down economics. We don't believe that the money should be put at the top and trickle down. We don't believe the money should be put anywhere. That's right. The problem is once you decide that the government should put it somewhere, then you have this false argument about, well, where should the government put it? Bottom and trickle up, top and trickle down, middle and trickle out? The answer is, that by and large, the money should stay with the people who created the wealth. That's classical economics, and it's got nothing to do with trickling anywhere. And the reality is they've bastardized the idea of, of, of capitalism and money even by having so many Americans that um, derive their economy from government that there are tens, if not hundreds of millions of Americans that think the government has money instead of debt that it creates and other people's money that it extorts. And as you see, so many Americans become comfortable with this idea of government taking from one to give to another. Isn't there a certain futility that will happen among people of means where they will simply say, now I do nothing? Yes, absolutely. Um, And the more of means they are, the more ability they have to do nothing. Um, You know, when, when you're at the time in your life where you can just barely make ends meet, doing nothing isn't an option. But as you get income above and beyond your basic needs, you know, to the degree that you're exceeding your basic needs and your lifestyle, to the degree that you're exceedingly exceedingly wealthy people don't spend it all. They can't. Billionaires cannot spend it all. Um, So their, their earning is to some degree optional. They can, they can check out anytime 
buy mute, uh, buy um, uh, municipal bonds that are tax havens, et cetera, and essentially drop out of the economy, and they will eat just as well. So it's the middle class that doesn't have that optionality and the poor that doesn't have the optionality. The wealthy have the most ability to drop in and out of wealth creation. So, so capital is more able to go on strike than labor. Capital can go on strike because it's got money saved up. Labor, when it goes on strike, um, the cupboard runs bare pretty quickly. And Jerry, there is such a misconception of Keynesianism that I was, I was literally very upset with the pervert John Maynard Keynes until I realized this is not even his version of Keynesianism. In fact, he was a proponent for 5%. At the most, he never wanted to go above that. And the one thing about John Maynard Keynes is he would have flip-flopped eventually, as he did when he used to believe in the gold standard or when he did believe in capitalism. So now they've taken this, this illusion that's not really a philosophy, and they have bastardized it for half a century to now where people are convinced that this is somehow a theory of this mixed quasi-socialist economy. And what I'm trying to figure out, and I don't think I don't I I do have it figured out. I just hate the answer. You cannot taint the well of private economy to this degree and ever be able to unwind it. Is that fair to say until the dollar eventually does what the Joe Bidens of the world wanted to do is which is completely collapse? Yeah, let's go back to the Keynes thing, man. You've done your homework. Um, I mean, there's, there are not many people who make the connection between uh, John Maynard Keynes' sexual proclivities um, and his economic distortions. I can pull it off, Jerry. I'll tell you why. I don't watch sports. I spend a lot of time on how in the hell this happened to my once great country because I love the idea of what we were, and I hate the idea of what we're becoming, and I'm listening to the people who are telling me I'm all wrong when the reality is I'm not. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that, you know, early Keynes, um, you know, when, when people ask him about the long-term consequences of his, of his policies, as you know, he famously said in, the, said, in the long run, we're all dead, because Keynes was committed to a, a, a lifestyle of sexuality mm-hmm. that could not possibly ever lead to children. Um, so the he liked long, them in a I different mean, way, if I remember correctly, but go ahead. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of trying to be delicate here. Um, so there weren't going to be any little baby Keyneses, uh, at, at least given the, what he was doing in his younger years. So he, and that's that's a, a lack of connection with the future. But what's really fascinating is um, in middle age, he got, he got married. He married a woman, married a Russian ballerina, fell in love with her, shocked all his friends. Yeah. And they actually tried to have children. He wrote to his friends saying, we're trying to, uh, you know, fulfill the, uh, he actually mentioned the book of Genesis, fill the earth and subdue it. Isn't this wow. fascinating? Yeah. Um, and around that time, Hayek, his friend, the Austrian economist, the gold money guy, visited him and said, you know, what are we going to do? Your followers are out there pushing huge spending, huge deficit and debasement of the currency. And Keynes said, it's all right. Um, you know, he started to come back to classical economics. He says, it's all right. I can pull them back. And not long after that, he died. So he wasn't around to pull them back anymore. At the end, Keynes wasn't a Keynesian. Right. Uh, but he was so good at getting his people placed in the right uh, prestigious universities. You know, he, he, he got Keynesian, all these young Keynesians and the Ivy League universities. They went on to found modern economics. And now we're living in his long run, now we're living in their long run with inflation exploding and the best performing assets by thousands of percents are you know, risky inflation hedges like cryptocurrencies, um, you know, gold, 
um, commodities, you know, big performers, um, and what's getting crushed are fixed income like bonds, which retirees depend on because they're inflation sensitive. And you're going to open them up to more government cheese. Jerry, hang on with me. I got to go through a break, and I'm not going to hang up on you. I'm really enjoying this. We'll be back with Jerry Boyer after these messages. Now you're just showing off. We got Jerry Boyer on. Jerry, best music and talk radio. I know you agree. He's the publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily and a writer at Town Hall. Jerry, now that we have lured so many Americans into the false promise of socialism, into the top-down government cradle-to-grave lifestyle, and we have so many seniors that are reliant on a Ponzi scheme, on, a, on really the first cornerstone of socialism in Social Security, can enough of us, and I mean people in their 50s, even people in their 60s, kind of form a protest? I have, a, I have an idea. Jerry, I want to break Social Security by proving that it's unconstitutional to force me into it. I want my money back, and you don't owe me anything. I think I can get about 74 million people's attention right now. Do you think we have a chance of destroying the socialist America? Um, I'm afraid not. I think because you've already pointed out we're pretty pretty addicted to it. Um, So now if you can win in court, uh, the problem is that the courts aren't going to play it straight when it comes to what's constitutional and what isn't. I mean, clearly something like Social Security is not an enumerated power in the United States Constitution. Um, so um, it's unconstitutional. But I don't see the courts kind of going our way on that. Um, and there are two – and the problem with, with, with the strategy and maybe a little bit is we're super voters, right? So if young people voted at the same rate – as middle-aged and older people, maybe we'd have a chance to uh, repeal Social Security. But unfortunately, um, you know, we, we show up to vote yeah. uh, and the younger generation doesn't. So I think we're going to continue to have an income transfer from the young to the old, which is an income transfer upward because middle-aged and older people have more money than young people. So it's a, it is not just redistributionary, it's reverse redistributionary. And when you hear this, this Rube Goldberg taxation system, after a commitment to spend an, a really unfathomable amount of money, and you hear that it's going to equal out because we're going to punish those bad rich people, yet you understand that at a certain point, those rich people are so ingrained in the system that they created through tax shelters and through manipulation of assets. How long before the kids realize this didn't work out the way uh, diapers Biden said it would? Yeah, see, that, that to me, that's the variable. When do the young people wake up? Um, I think it's highly probable that they're going to insist on their experimentation in socialism, that they're not going to be satisfied until we try it. Uh, Michael, my friend, the late Michael Novak, used to say this about socialism. He said, a dream can't be abandoned until it's actually tried and failed. Socialism is the dream that Europe tried and failed, and certainly the East tried, Russia did. Um, but socialism is the idea that we haven't really tried. Um, and we've messed with it. We've had quasi-socialism, but we've never had real full-on socialism in the United States. And so they can always say, oh, it will work until, they, until we try it, and then it doesn't. So I think I'm afraid the way out of this is not political persuasion uh, in the beginning. I think it's a crisis. I think that the political dynamics are such that we're going to push the system to the point where it breaks. That, that might be a dollar break, a, uh, a debt crisis like we haven't had since the 1790s. Um, by the way, 
for the past 30 years, I've been the guy who's been talking everyone off the ledge. No, the dollar's not going to collapse. No, we're not going to have hyperinflation. So, I'm, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have been pushing that scenario for a long time. I'm not. But I'd say now that the risks are genuinely rising um, within, the, within well, the foreseeable investable future. I'm who Faber and Shift call when they want to not calm down. So I've been the exact opposite. I've been pushing Bitcoin and I've been pushing alternatives to the corrupted dollar because, in my opinion, when it comes to currency manipulation, when it comes to military intervention to protect a Bretton Woods agreement that we broke, I feel that we are the tyrants and the bad guys when it comes to currency manipulation. What do you think of that? Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, that's what you, what is the, what are rising gold prices and dollars tell us? We broke the deal. We broke the global covenant. And oh, and hold on a second. It was a Republican who did it. Exactly. It's always a Republican that does it. If we're going to have our hearts broken, he might as well be a Brooks Brothers suit and a side part. And and I've gone back and I watched the video of Nixon doing it, you know, and he's talking like a liberal. You are the currency speculator, you know. He sounds like Bernie. He sounds like Um, Biden last night. He does absolutely. So um, we broke that contract. We made a treaty with the world. Um, We destroyed our reputation, and it uh, basically, you know, led to a lost decade—a decade of stagflation. Um, And the president we just had was also playing footsie with some of this stuff. Jerry, Um, we've got too much to talk about. Can and you're coming back? Do you mind? I would mind not coming back. Very good. Jerry Boyer, financial economist, publisher of The Affluent Investor. Keep an eye out for his upcoming podcast, Meeting of Minds, of which he's going to ask me to be on. I could just feel it. Jerry, thank you so much. I've truly enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back after this. streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merck. He's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government with a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other. He's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like on top of me, so If you've listened to me over the years, you know I um, I seek out media that I trust, people that I respect that write it. I, I'm not the big uh, subscriber of American Pravda called mainstream media. So one of my favorites is Jazz Shaw. Jazz is a writer at HotAir.com, and he lives the way I want to, on an Adirondack chair in the wilderness, occasional cigar, although I'd have many. And uh, happy as a clam. How are you, Jazz? Doing good, Sean. Always a pleasure to speak to you, even though we're getting a bunch of rain here. It's filling up the trout streams. Really? Really? Well, that's good enough that you're on the top of that mountain. You could just laugh at it from, from Mount High. I, I love that about you. And that's exactly how I have you envisioned. So if it's different, don't ruin it for me. Um, <laughs> speaking of ruining things for me, I watched the feeble, flaccid fascist promote this kind of utopian Marxism where this time it's going to be a com- passionate communism and i knew he was lying and then i saw your article fact checking biden's speech took a while i'm surprised you even got it out today 
it, it, it was a long labor of love. Well, okay, it was a long labor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, there was just so much crap in there, and the <laughs> fact is that uh, I was impressed. The Associated Press actually, they gave him a pass on a bunch of stuff, but they actually called out some of the more egregious stuff that he said, and at one point just wrote a two-word sentence. That's wrong. You know, That's if, awesome. If the, if the AP is saying this, you know it was a bunch of crap. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm dealing with a funny situation at home. Um, I married into a very big union family, and my wife always considered herself a Democrat. I can't even put these people on TV. She starts screaming like a lunatic. i got to turn it off. So I didn't watch it until this morning on YouTube in my car. Um, as I did, I have new teeth marks on my steering wheel. And um, <laughs> what, what are some of your favorite whales, whoppers, failures, and frauds in this? Uh, who even knows where to start? I, I still, even though the AP didn't call them out, Biden's continuous claims that he's the person who's rescuing the country from the pandemic and restoring the economy at the same time because he's getting us out and back to normal. When the guy has literally just been a bystander sitting and watching everything that was already being done that Donald Trump set up from Operation Warp Speed to getting the vaccines approved to starting the distribution. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, uh, Joe Biden said, in my first 100 days, we're going to get 50 million doses. Well, <laughs> the people making the doses had already said 100 million. Exactly. And <laughs> the whole thing and is came back later and said, okay, 100 million. And at that point, they'd already said, no, we're on track for 200 million. And he does you know? represent that old guard of politician that literally claims stake in things they had nothing to do with, takes credit for things they don't understand and had nothing to do with. And as I, I, I sit here, I understand that they want me to believe that there are tens of millions of people that wanted this versus what really happened, in my opinion, was so many people rejecting the idea of a personality versus not understanding the principle you were going to usher in is truly a version of a of a Marxism that I don't think people understood when you hear him literally rewrite history to steal the future. Exactly. And I I don't even I, I apologize uh, for not remembering off the top of my head who it was that I, I, I saw this tweet I really loved and I, I put it in the article and it just said Joe Biden is literally the rooster crowing to take credit for the sun rising. That was Tom you know, Cotton. And that, that was really Tom is Cotton. what he's doing. Yeah, you, you, I, got it, I got it right here in front of me, and that's Tom Cotton that said that. that uh, it's, it, it's exactly what he's doing, and he gets away with it because as I turn on my local media, now you remember I'm from the mafia hub of Chicago where everything is normal. Right. I mean, aldermen get, get away. We've got a corrupt one in the city of Chicago. He's laughing at the people. Fifty years he ran the, the, the state like Al Capone only dreamed of. We've got another one whose wife sits on the Illinois Supreme Court. I mean, you can't make this up. So when we see our political announcers come on and say it was the greatest speech, I literally this happened today. One of the greatest speeches I've seen in my career of commenting on politics is what one of our stooges, our talking mannequin, said. And that he was unifying I, I don't know if you the country. I don't know if you have a calculator handy, but do you think you could do a quick check and see how many times Joe Biden mentioned the southern border crisis during the entire speech? If I carry the one and divide by three, nothing. 
I got nothing. It was zero. Yeah, wasn't even mentioned. You know, but I noticed how he I, kept I talking about about unions, and I know. See, here's the thing: I have a long history with unions. Most people don't notice. I I I, I toyed with unions my whole life, and I love some of the people. And I mean, I love them. They're they're friends of mine. The reality is, even the guys in it know it's a complete and utter scam. However, they also know that one of the major problems they have is when they have competition. So the whole time this idiot is up there for an hour and 10 minutes talking about how great it's going to be in a unionized America, he's in the same sense undermining the unions by allowing what what I believe the Republicans and many Democrats want, which is an undocumented workforce if I want to take the high road on on illegal immigration coming in. And I'm wondering how much longer are union members going to vote lockstep with the way Trump, the slob that he is, tells them to vote? Well, they've got a pretty good track record so far. They keep doing it. Um, I'll give you one piece of good news. You you mentioned that you're you're married to a woman who's, you know, more on the uh, Democratic Union side. I'm married to a liberal feminist Democrat who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, have been for 25 years. We somehow managed to make things work out. But, sucks. It's uh, just sucks. She, she took a job two years ago with a uh, local school as an administrator, not as a teacher. And she had the nerve, apparently, when one of the uh, senior people uh, was showing up in the office every day. It was a woman, by the way. Instead of referring to all of the women as girls instead of women and sort of talking about this and that thing that women can't do, my wife had the nerve to go and put in a complaint saying, you know, you shouldn't talk to us that way. Mm-hmm. She got fired. Oh. And every job she has applied to for any other school district where the school or the teachers unions have sway, she did great in the interviews. And then she got a letter back going, uh, we've decided not to hire anyone. And they completely canceled her. That's and exactly. lately, she's had a very different opinion about the teachers' unions. Oh, you, by the end of this, by the end of this, when you're really old and you're sitting on that rocker, she's going to be on my on your side and my side, because what the reality is is they're selling an organized extortion racket in virtually every scheme they have. Every scheme they have, from welfare to to this phony health care to union labor, it's all about that kind of stranglehold on access to jobs and to capital. And what I'm, you know, I understood this in high school, what they're doing. I could see it. Do you think maybe more of us are going to come over to the side of reality as these plans and these plots continue with stagflation and just corruption and destruction? I I think it's only happening for people who run into it, like the situation I just described firsthand, because the hypocrisy on display for the party that is supposedly like, oh, we have to take care of women and minorities and everybody has to be equal and you can't. And then they go in and parade around and berate women and abuse them verbally. And then if somebody complains about it, they get canceled. But I I think it, for a lot of them, it takes that level of abuse before they start to realize, holy crap, I'm dealing with the mafia. Exactly. You know, and then how many, how many, right. How many women's right lectures could Bill Clinton co-host after all? But I was looking, (laughs) I was looking at another one of your articles and I love it because a couple of days ago, I really dove in 
on uh, the PPP and the CARES Act and the way in which it's being scammed. I didn't have a lot of time to go in it, but uh, it really is there for the taking. And you talk about this D.C. pastor. Can you let the people know about Rudolph Brooks, Jr.? Yeah, Rudolph Brooks is a pastor of, uh, I don't even remember the King, name. Off the Kingdom of to, to, uh, Tabernacle and Restoration, yeah, Missionaries of Tax Avoidance. But he also uh, was listed as the owner of a uh, car dealership, although it was one of those online car dealerships where yeah. you do all the transactions online. Swindle and on sadly, wheels. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sadly, the pandemic hit him as hard as anybody else. He had to lay off all of his workers, and he lost you know everything basically, and he had to you know make up for the workers who had been impacted. So he applied for you know a couple million dollars or more in these forgivable loans uh, to take care of his people, and he got it. And so it was a happy ever ending story, except for the fact that. The company he was talking about never existed, and it never had any employees. And he bought thirty-nine vintage cars with the money, and paid off his mortgage, and did things like that. They managed to catch this guy. My question for you, Sean, is how many people didn't they catch? Well, I just was passed up by a Bentley. I'm pretty safe in saying that guy uh, on my way to the studio. So I, I mean, I really do. <laughs> I really do feel that so many of 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 people. And I'm going to talk talk to you for just a minute about even decent, honest people that were tempted and in some cases took the loan while not needing it and while understanding they haven't even figured out how they're going to pay back or if they're going to pay back. It literally, to me, was a slush fund of welfare to kind of get that like like a crack dealer coming in the neighborhood and giving out that first one for free. That's what this whole thing looked like to me, both the CARES Act and PPP and how people ran to it who didn't need it. And to this day, I don't think they've laid out a plan of how you're going to pay it back. My my question for you, Sean, is what does the phrase, because I tried to go look this up and I asked a couple of other journalists that I work with who specifically deal in economics. I was like, what is a forgivable loan? Welfare. And... It turns out that a forgivable loan is a loan, and if you can or are willing to repay it, you can repay it. But if you don't, there's no penalty. There used to be another word for that. That's a grant. Yeah. You know, but they weren't calling it a grant because they could only get away with so many grants. So they called them forgivable loans, and these people, like this pastor, clearly had no intention of spending the money to help anyone else but himself you know, and had no intention of paying it back. He just took the 2.2, whatever it was, million dollars, and just went on a shopping spree for a bunch of cars and paid off his mortgage and, and all that while he was out there preaching at the uh, the local uh, whatever choir it was. You know, and that wasn't the first one of these stories I wrote about, Sean. We've, we've caught a number of these people that had non-existent businesses. They weren't misunderstanding. They weren't like, well, maybe I could use the money even if I don't really need it. These are people who just committed fraud, yeah. you know, and the, my, my big issue with this is they don't have a big system in place to vet every one of the tens of millions of applications that come in. So we're only finding out about the ones they caught because they were the dumbest ones. Absolutely. And that's the other thing, you know, I, I, my real job is I have businesses. And my accountant called me. This I, this radio gig is like the last thing. 
Um, and he's like, you know, you might want to take a look at this. And I said, no, I'd rather go broke than take the cheese. And he basically said to me, I've called and I only got that response from two guys, from two guys. And then you realize that this is really bad. But, um, Jazz, I didn't get to your other article. And we can find Jazz Shaw on hotair.com. The Austrian in prison for recording a video. I just wanted to get to it because I was fascinated on how you pronounce his name. But we'll leave that for the people that have the interest to look it up. Jazz, thank you so much for joining me. I had a really good time, and I will talk to you very shortly, all right? Thanks for having me on, sir. And, you know, just hang in there. We're going to get through this somehow. And if not, I'm living with you in the Adirondack chair. Thank you so much. We'll be back with your (laughs) calls and comments after this. That reminds me, I, I, I got to talk to Steve after the show. We've been texting back and forth. I got to get Steve Cortez back on here. But uh, I thought you made me a promise to leave his music off. Thank you so much. Um, I got an article that's very upsetting, but I'm going to go to Teresa on the north side. She has been patiently waiting. Teresa, how are you? I'm good, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first of all, your show needs to be longer. I'm just putting it Oh, out I there. had I mean, such seriously. a good time. The kid in there is shaking his head because he's lazy. I had such a good time yesterday. Um, I really <laughs> want another hour. Hannity won't return my phone calls. It might be because he's a little, he thinks I'm a stalker. However, I'm taking his hour. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while, trying to figure out why the Republicans are so silent. And I'm thinking the Republicans are purposely standing back and allowing the Marxists to destroy the country so the Republicans can say, see, we told you so, Democrats are bad. It's, In the meantime, we're going down the sewer. It, Thanks to this, both parties, yeah. there is not one party that's protecting our country. See, this is the beauty of us being from the most corrupt, the most incompetent, the most... Democrat mafia run state. And I say that with full confidence in the country. We know what the answer is. The Illinois Republican corporatist frauds, you know, the ones that control all of the other little gambling and marijuana dispensaries, all their wives have pieces of it, all their moron brothers are lobbyists, all of those guys. They make a tremendous amount of money by being in second place. They use the good intentions of people not in the mafia to enrich themselves and to have that veil of of confidence and hope by saying, well, the Illinois Republicans will do something. And what do they produce? Scum and frauds like Adam Kinzinger. By the way, Misty, did Adam Kinzinger ever get back to me on my $5,000 offer to his charity pack for a three-round celebrity fight boxing match or MMA match because if he didn't let's up at the 10,000 and see if we can get the uh, Kinzinger people to call me back thank you Teresa for letting me vent and challenge Adam Kinzinger to a celebrity boxing match thank you I would love that just me I'm old he's an army guy air force guy whatever he is He'd probably give me a good tail kick and everybody knows I could use it and uh, here's some more people that are going to want to kick my tail Chicago alderman Patrick Daly Thompson You see what this fat slob did, and you should see him. He is the quintessential Irish politician with the big head like a pumpkin. Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson indicted in federal Bridgeport bank case, or I'm sorry, case scheme. I was reading a little too uh, down here of the numbers. It's really amazing. For five years, this guy filed false tax returns, it appears, allegedly. More than $2,000 in loans he received from Washington Federal Bank 
um, for a savings, which was shut down. See, this is how they cash out from all these corrupt little mafia organizations and banks. They steer loans to gangsters and frauds. And then they, they normally do it right as they know. Ah, they're not going to make it good. They're probably going to close. And then the defaulted loans get paid off by the innocent people because they're FDIC insured. So what these scumbags do, it's like when gangsters know a guy's going to get whacked. They borrow money from him right before they know he's ever going to collect. This is what the Irish mafia does that we call Chicago Democrats. And they've been doing it for decades. And it goes virtually unreported. I mean, granted, this is in, in NBC Chicago, and his name is Patrick Daly Thompson. I hate that my name is the same as this guy's, but that's because a guy on Ellis Island turned it from the Norwegian Thompson to this Irish corrupt version with a P. It makes me sick to my stomach, and nobody cares. The Democrats, when they come up for election here in good old Chicago and Cook County, and now for, forget about it, it's all of Illinois virtually, especially those bitter old fascists pretending to be uh, suburbanites in DuPage County. They don't care because they like it like this. They like the dailies and the mob organization family they represent and the party that enriches them. They love it. They can't get enough of it. And that's why we've got another example of that in the White House in a wet diaper. It's the same thing. I've had enough of it. I don't know about you. Time to go to high ground. There's got to be a secession movement in Florida. If not, I'll start one right from southwest Florida. Naples, right out of the condo. I don't care. I'm that disgusted with it. It's that obvious. They're frauds. 312-642-5600. I'm going to only take your calls this next half hour. I'm upset. Louder. I'm upset. Louder. I'm upset. I'm still, I'm, I'm still astonished at this Patrick Daly Thompson moron. You have to see this balloon head, this necklace chub. He's got to stand on a sprinkler. Um, the 11th Ward, he wins because the family wins there. Just saying Chicago, I need a shower from these rats. You know, when I was a kid, I remember some, some guys who were reputed gangsters and, you know, mobsters. They were all men. They would have never let this balloon head, redhead in there. It's just disgraceful to me. Terry's got an interesting point. Hi, Terry. Rogers Park. Hi. I, I get tired of people like uh, Biden saying it's uh, unions and workers who built this country. Uh, I think it's men like uh, the Henry Ford and great men like Thomas Edison that built this country. Oh, I think Without you're right. Without them, Newtons wouldn't have have built anything. And did you know that, that Henry Ford was known for paying his people well above any sort of union wage? He just wanted to have the freedom to hire and fire. Terry, I think you're exactly right. But the other thing is they're visionaries. Those men were visionaries. The workers who actually came here from the other countries, the way they do today, and went to work in any field they chose, mainly by circumventing organized labor mafia. And the way that, that they did that is the same way that people who came here from the former Soviet Union or any Eastern European country or South American country who go into business for themselves, provide a good or service that is a need that the people want and are successful at it. And that is the vision that the neo-Marxist frauds like Joe Biden hate. That's why they cozy up to big business, to squeeze out small business. What built this country was citizens, individuals, in spite of labor extortion racket unions. Not because of them. And I watch these morons claim for the weekend. Yeah, you came up with the weekend, dummies. 
You came up with lazy and useless. That's what you came up with. You came up with minimum, minimum work at very maximum pay. That's why all you're really interested in is days off, vacations, maternity leaves, and power over corporations and governments. You want to get rid of things? You want to really spur the economy? Break the back of the, of the chokehold that unions have on political whores that legislate their existence. Last thing I do when I want something done is hire a union. Not the first thing. But no uh, emergency will go uncapitalized on by the mafia, represented by freaks and geeks like uh, Little Rahm Emanuel and this balloon head daily and this other walking punchline, the beanbag with a pumpkin on it, J.B. Pritzker. It's called the Consumers and Climate First Act, and the governor says it will put us on a path to 100% clean energy use by 2050. Oh, it is- you know, it's funny. How much CO2 you think this slob of a man gives off? Seriously, I'm dead serious. He's got to be 400 pounds. I'm a buck 80, and I look fantastic in a Speedo. I am far better for the environment than this slob of a man. And I didn't even mention the couples. I took the high road. Includes some subsidies to Illinois' nuclear power plant, $70 million worth over five years, that would help preserve jobs at both the Dresden and Byron nuclear plants, although it doesn't offer as much support as the unions would like. It also calls for more accountability from ComEd in the wake of the bribery scandal and no more automatic rate hikes. In fact, if it's determined customer funds were used in illegal activities, there would be refunds. There- oh, not now. Now he's going to vindicate the, the, the mobster Don that he owned for 50 years in Mike Madigan. Now he's going to be, he's Sir Lancelot now. Now how's he going to do it? By peddling this false nonsense that's going to jack up all the costs for everybody. You know, I like my original idea. I say this, this useless beanbag of a human being gives off twice as much of that phony carbon CO2 than I do. Tax the fat slobs first. I mean, why? Oh, after all, why should I subsidize him? He's a billionaire. Start paying the weight there, freight. Don, south side. Hey, quick story. I got a friend. He's a steel salesman. Um, he was usually, usually buy steel from this one company. Couldn't buy it this time because the company's out on strike. They were just about to make, a, make an agreement, the workers and the union and the owners. And the union said, hold off to the workers. We're getting paid from the new uh, bailout plan from Biden. We're getting paid so much that you guys don't have to work for a year. We'll pay you for your not to work because they want to stick it to the company. Well, that might sound good now, but what happens a year from now if that company's out of business because they couldn't do any business for a year, then these union guys go back to work a year from now and they have no place to go. And you know what I feel bad about? There are very good union members, very good, that know that they have to play the game, that they're extorted too. they got to pay off these business agents and, 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 and follow the, be, be an upper echelon to these corrupt gangsters pretending to be the upper echelon of unions. So they, they have to play the game because that's unfortunately the position they're in. The reality is there should be an institution in America, you know, like a, like a federal bureau of investigation that looks into all of these kickback scheme artists and extortionists and maybe, maybe helps the actual working man that wants to work instead of the guy that wants to go on vacation and just make more for it. So th- once again, we're in this position. You want to show you want to see greed. Greed is a is, is a useless worker that wants to be paid a minimum rather than somebody who's aggressive enough and wants to make a maximum. You show me an institution that provides a minimum and limits a maximum and I'll show you a failure. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate it. David in Lansing. Hey, Sean. Uh, 
two comments about unions. Number one, they're living out their usefulness because the number of laws on the books at the state, county, and local level for for workers are, is on the rise. So, I mean, you, you know, unions were supposedly created to protect workers with labor laws. But my other point is, is we can compete and defeat China by sneaking unions into their, you know, labor. <laughs> now, Chinese you know what? Factories. That might be the yeah. best thing you've ever said. You want to really, you want to really win the war with China? Introduce them to unions. Why don't we send the Teamsters over to Beijing? You know what? I right. like it. David, I like yeah, it. We can send, like, you know, maybe 20 limos and yeah. you know, some big fat guys. A couple of Buick Roadmasters. Yeah. Yeah, set up shop in Nepal or something next door and get them to sneak in there. Oh. You know, David, I, I've heckled you in the past. I think that was the one contribution I will never forget. I think you're exactly correct. And at the same time, we open up Dunkin' Donut franchises. I'll tell you what, that's the only way we're going to catch them. we got to figure out how to unionize them, and this way they'll stop producing. 312-642-5600. There's always a beefer out in the crowd. Always a Valachi. Somebody must have told my wife about the Adam Kinzinger thing. She's all mad now. You know, told her it'd be worth every penny. Besides, I could use it. Mark in Oak Lawn. How are you, Sean? Good, Mark. How are you? I'm all right. I was just uh, turning in to catch you off to work, and uh, I... I was laughing my butt off because I heard you call Trickster a fat slob, and I just wanted to inform you. A couple of days ago, I was uh, reading on michaelsavage.com about there's an article about this new thing called thin privilege, like fat lives matter. <laughs> so they might go thin, after you. <laughs> thin privilege. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? They start taxing me for being thin. Why not? They tax you for making more money. Why not tax you for being shape and thin? If you don't need Viagra, I mean, I think maybe they, they, you might be on the something, Mark. Don't give them any ideas. Will you stop giving them ideas? But no, but but and I read that on the on you know it's a real article. It's not it's not a nonsense. I'm telling you, I read the whole thing. It's exactly about describing people in the manner that you did, and they feel like they're you know as Mark. My you know head, what I'm talking about. I know exactly it. what you're talking about because my head blows up. The idea that people are looking at this <laughs> this this joke of a human being. The guy's 400 pounds at five six. You're telling me how to be healthy? I mean, the irony in this is rich. It's, it's unbelievable. When I was a kid, that wasn't even it wouldn't even be considered that we're going to take tips from this guy. The real men would say, "Hey, listen, do yourself. If you can't represent yourself like a man, sit down and stop talking for the rest of us." It's just bizarre world to me, Mark. Thank you for the call and. uh all right. By the way, I found out that this daily that's indicted, I think they belong to the same gym. You should take a look on the TV about this Patrick Daly. You should see this balloon head. It's classic. You just laugh looking at the picture. And you'll understand how he got a loan, 240000 Why not? He just forgot about it. When he was doing his taxes, I forgot about it. The bank went out of business. I didn't think it was a big deal. And, oh, by the way, I'm in the mob. Neil, in the car. Hey. Hi, Neil. How you doing? Wonderful. Are you there? Yes, I am. All yes, right. I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's a talk show, baby. You got to talk. I mean, uh, otherwise, I could, I could play, oh, yeah, yeah. I could play Spanish Flea. <laughs> but go ahead. What'd you have to say? Okay, so um, if we were looking at a pandemic, a new pandemic that's upon us, uh, we're already in it. Uh, it's called the pandemic of laziness. I like it. It's a pandemic. How about we do this? How about we compromise now? We could come up with something. It's the pandemic of character. That's the problem. This nation has no character anymore. At least there's only a few of us left. Thank you very much. 
Rob, Ukraine, Ukraine Village. How are you, Rob? Fantastic. Hey, uh, as much I work in construction support, I know tons of great union guys, but I'll tell you, I, I learned to hate the union when I was 14, 15 years old. I was a bag boy at the grocery store because my parents were trying to make me get a job to learn how to be responsible. Had to join the grocer's union, worked a few hours. They took 80, 90% of my paycheck, and the one time we went on a two-week vacation, I came back, and my paycheck had a, a negative number on it because I owed them money for dues because I didn't work any time <laughs> during the two weeks that I was gone. That's awesome, so, a negative number. Rob, I, we got a, we had a reverb on the phone, so I'm going to hang up on you and then tell you my union story. I just got off the phone with my 80-year-old bricklayer father. Now, that was going to be my path. When I was a kid, I worked in numerous unions. I worked at the South Water Market. I did every job you can imagine. Kind of like exactly the opposite of a politician. Did everything, every industry, mainly labor, until the mercantile exchange came around. Only because I hated college, I went, I went into there. And um, I always saw a pattern in unions, no matter what they were. You know what they used to say to me? Hey, kids, slow down. I'd say, what? Slow down. Don't work like that. you got to slow down. And I knew wonderful union bricklayers. In fact, there was the smartest man I ever met in my life was a union bricklayer who read everything. He was like the Dan Proft with a torso of muscle. And he knew everything, every book, every specialty. And I had the utmost respect for him. And he was in a union, and he would tell me from time to time, you got to slow down. And I used to say, why? He goes, this system doesn't pay you to be the best. It pays you because you're in it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you're in it. You're going to make the same money whether you put that wall up twice as fast as the guy next to you. So why would you put it up? After all, you got to take the job. It's got to take time. And I said, that doesn't seem right. And he said, there's nothing right about it. The problem is that's the new American way now. You know what year that was? 1975. I was a kid. My dad just take me on the jobs. And all I wanted to do was admire these guys and work and be productive. And I learned from a very young age, it's exactly the opposite of what an organized system on extorting people, on extorting capitalism, and on destroying a free market. That's exactly the opposite of how they want to work. The problem is we've got to decide. What do you want to be? A comfortable socialist or an uncomfortable free man? Because that's what's at stake. Fastest two hours of the day. I'll be back tomorrow. Believe in shooting stars, but she believe in shoes.